How's everybody doing? Yeah, got some energy in the house. I love it. Man, I'm excited. You know, I'm kind of sad. The return series has been amazing. It's been amazing to have um, other people come in. It was great uh, last week to have Antley Fowler, one of my best friends, um, pastored me for years, uh, come and just give an amazing word last week. But we are um, ending the, the return series today, but we're, we're ending it in a place that kind of doesn't end, which is this idea of returning to mission. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to start in Philippians chapter 3, um, and we'll kind of move around uh, just in this area talking about what it means to return to mission. And if you haven't been with us in the return series, we've talked about this idea of all of these things that we're returning to. Like they're, they're in some ways, when we hit 2020, we hit the pause button on a lot of things, and everybody just walked outside, you know, just check things out. Like, hey, there's outdoors, you know, we can play for a while. It was kind of fun because the weather was good, like it was March, and people walk, you know, it was like weird, everybody's watching the news, and then there's nothing to do, everything is shut down, and people just started doing yard work. I remember sod went up, I mean, me and Dave have talked about this, like the price of sod went absolutely bonkers, I mean, and then wood. I mean, I think it's wood is still like crazy. People are nodding their head in the construction industry like, yes, it is. You know, I bid the house here and now it's going to cost us here. But, you know, as we, as we kind of hit the pause button, there's a lot of things that maybe in our heart that God exposed and brought up during the pandemic in 2020 and now here in the beginnings of 2021, just this idea that, you know, what are the things that maybe we, we lost along the way? Maybe they were lost long before 2020, but God's uprooted, and maybe now we can go back and find those things. And we talked this, about this idea of returning to the gospel, returning to Jesus, returning to His power, returning to prayer, returning to worship as a weapon. And we've gone through a lot of different things that God stirred up in our hearts as a church. But now we want to return to mission, which... In some ways, it's kind of a funny thing to say. I don't know that we ever left mission. But it's one of those things that I think we always have to get our, our mindset back to, the, to that idea. And the mission here at Ocean City Church really comes from Matthew 28, the Great Commission. But our wording is, we exist to invite anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace that comes through Jesus alone. This idea that God sends us, that He commissions us. He doesn't just save us and rescue us. And all of a sudden we're like, man, I can't wait to get to heaven. It's great. Which we can't wait to get to heaven. I can't wait to see Jesus face to face. But in the midst of that, he says, not only am I rescuing you, reuniting you with your Father and making a way for you to be who you were always meant to be, but I'm giving you this mission. I'm giving you, I'm letting you step into the river Jesus and carry the name of Jesus to the people around you, to the world around you, to your own neighborhood and to the ends of the earth. And so as we talk about this idea of returning to mission, I was thinking this week about this idea of returning to things, and um, Tim Tebow is apparently returning to football. Come on, he's excited about it. Give me a shout. Some people aren't. You're just going to wait. I can, this is that, there's a big clap up here from Dave. He's like, yes, let's do this. We're going we're gonna to T-bow all day long, you know. We got this thing going down. But, I, you know, it's interesting. People are losing their mind over this. And you might not be following this if you're from, like, Mars. But people are losing their mind about Tim Tebow going back into football. I don't know why it's such a big deal. Like if he makes it, I mean, just people are, there's football players that are just mad like that he got an opportunity. And it's all going to play out on the field anyway. And the, the things that people are saying is there's no way that you can leave that long. You know, nine years of, you know, it's been since he's really been on the field playing. And, 
you know, you can't leave it that long. What are the tools he's going to need? Not only that, but he's going to be in a different position. He's going to be playing tight end or trying to play tight end instead of quarterback. So it's, it's all the discussion about, oh, there's just no way to re- he's going to be able to return after or be, being gone that long. He doesn't have the, the tool set. There's no way that he can get skilled enough. There's no way that he can tack on enough of what he needs in order to compete, to have you know, defensive ends and tackles coming at him like crazy linebackers that he's going to have to shed to get out into the field to catch the ball. There's no way. And again, people are losing their mind over this idea of Tim Tebow returning to football. And I think sometimes when we think about this idea of like, the mission field in general, some of us, it's not about returning to mission. It's about just mission in general. Like, I'm not skilled enough to carry the gospel. I don't even know. that I just woke up yesterday to this thing called Jesus. I'm pretty excited about it, but I have no idea. I haven't been to seminary. I don't preach. I don't sing songs. I don't play G, C, and D on the thing with a capo and a guitar. All the musicians giggled, and everybody else was like, what's he talking about? But, you know, you've got this, this mindset when it comes to evangelism and this mindset when it comes to missions that... There's no way for me to step into those waters. And I just want to say, just, for, like, just so that you lean in this morning, whether you're just in the back of the room and you've just kind of made it in here, you're just kind of finding your way back into faith, or you're just kind of figuring it out, or you're excited and you were exploding during worship and Jesus is everything and you know the whole deal and you are in, you've been in, you can't wait for more, no matter where you are, that we, we, I think the, the idea that we need some sort of toolbox in order to carry the name of Jesus is ridiculous. And it's one of those things the enemy wants to speak to us, to say to you that you don't have value when it comes to your story. You don't have value when it comes to what he has done for you. So I want to I talk this morning about how we return to mission. And I might, I might hop around actually here and, and, and use a verse that's kind of out of order, but... In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you might have to scroll through your pro presenter there. I've got kind of a a sub um, pared down version of this. And the Apostle Paul says, Even though I am free from of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant. So he's saying, even though I'm free of the demands of everyone around me. He's saying, Jesus has set me free. I no longer have to come with my resume. I no longer have to have this you know, he, he was a guy that knew things. He was a guy that, you know, for all practical purposes, he did go to seminary. And he's saying, I'm free from, from all of that. In fact, I'm free from having to do any of these things. I don't have to earn my salvation. I am approved of by the king of the universe. It wasn't about what I was doing. It's about what he has done. That's what he's saying here to the, to the church at Corinth. He's saying, even though I'm free from the demands and expectations of everyone, he's looking at the church, he's looking at the people around him saying, from you. I'm free. I don't, I don't have to do these things. I've voluntarily become a servant. And he goes on to say, I, I've, I've come to serve everyone. I've come to serve the, the religious person that's been in church their whole life. And I've come to serve the person that's never walked in a church. I've come to serve the person that doesn't think they have a shot with God. I've come to serve the person that is so prideful that they think they're saved just because they were born into a particular family. I've come to serve all of these people in order that I might say, save some. I want to do, do all of these things because of the message, because of what God has done. And I didn't just want to, this is the message version, I love it. He says, I didn't just want to talk about it, I want to be in on it. I wanted to be in on it. 
I, I love that. That's, that's one of those passages when you read it, the message just pumps me up. I, didn't, I want to become all of these things. I want to meet people where they are. I want to be not somebody that stands on this mighty hill going, let me show you the way, but getting down to where people are going, I get you because I am you. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. I know what it means to be a sinner saved by grace. I love that. I didn't just want to talk about it. I didn't just want to come to church and sip a latte. I wanted to be in on it. I wanted to be in on the mission. But I hear those words and sometimes I wonder where we all are with that. Are we excited to carry the gospel? Are we excited to carry what's inside of our chest? Have we... Is there something that needs to be attached to us and in the toolbox? Well, maybe not in the way that you think, but I want to talk about what does it look like for us to return to mission, but maybe just, you know, where do we start? What can you, 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 these are the things that you can't do without when it comes to carrying the name of Jesus, when it comes to the very thing that God's called all of us to do, because God's given us a purpose on planet earth, and it's, it's singular. It's to glorify him with everything. It's the chief end of man in the Westminster Confession of Faith. That we exist, that we are here to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. That our joy for Him, our, the light that's in our heart because of what He's done, is the very thing that glorifies Him. The fact that our engagement, as Dan was saying, in His presence brings us joy is one of the ways that we carry His name to the ends of the earth. So how do we get in this Thing we call mission? How do we get in this thing we call returning to mission? The first, the first one here is it's all about relationship. It is all about relationship. Now I know what you might be thinking because you've probably been to, if you've been to church, an evangelism thing and saying it's all about relationship. That's right. We gotta, you gotta know people. Like most people, if you look at statistics, it's more than 90% of the people that, that come to know Jesus, they do it outside of this setting. It doesn't happen in church. It happens in relationship. It happens in those type of scenarios with grandmother, with a friend, with a family member, with somebody that you're hanging out with, a, a co-worker. But that's, that's actually not what I'm talking about. When, when we talk about it's all about relationship and how do we get in it with mission, I'm not talking about the relationships with each other. That would be more strategic. It's all about a relationship with Jesus, first and foremost. We're getting to the simple, and I know that might sound obvious to you, but it's all about a relationship with Jesus. Let me read this, this passage to you. The Apostle Paul, he didn't just want to, he didn't want, he didn't, Jesus was not the figurehead of a religion or a namesake of, of Christianity in which he was a part of. Jesus was a person in which he had a relationship with. Philippians 3, verse 7, it says, But whatever gains... To me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He's saying, whatever I had, whatever I gained in life, I consider loss. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And that knowing is an intimate knowing. It's a, it's a deep knowing. Not a, he's the figurehead of my religion. And his name is Jesus. And he did something to, to save our souls. No, this was a relationship for for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might, what? Gain Christ. He's saying everything. There's nothing that, that matters other than my relationship with Jesus. This, this, is, this, is, this is not about what can Jesus give me. This is about taking our hands out of Jesus' pockets and putting them around his neck. 
We wonder what we need in life. And many times it's like, okay, I need church. I need religion. I need all the things, that, all the benefits that come with Christianity. We're going to just lay those on the table and we're going to come to church and we're going to pick all those benefits up and then we're going to go out and live our own lives. But the reality is, is that it's all about Jesus. What you need today, what you might not know that you needed, but what you needed today when you came in, what I needed when I came in today is Jesus and my relationship with Jesus. And mission doesn't happen unless you have a relationship with Jesus, unless you've had an encounter with Jesus where there's something that you're doing, not this mechanical thing that we've done in the Southeast as we've grown up, like we go to church, we do this thing, and then we go back into life to do what, what the rest of the world does. But there's this thing, this relationship, that happens, that explodes. I didn't know that until I was almost 30 years old. I, I had been to church my whole life, went to a, a Christian school for, for 15 years. I'd heard a lot of different things along the way, and part of it was my hard heart, and part of it was not hearing, maybe not hearing the, the gospel and what it meant, means to have a relationship. I heard the words relationship with Jesus. But then I had an encounter where it was all of a sudden I woke up. There, there was a, you know, I was the sleeper we were singing about that needed to come alive, that needed to come awake. And Jesus encountered my life. And then all of a sudden it seemed like everywhere I went, especially in those early days. And we have to remember this. It's not something like, in some ways I think we hear somebody say this. It's like, well, I just don't walk around thinking about Jesus all the time. He's the image of the invisible God. He is invisible. It's hard to, hard to think about relationship. It's a difficult concept. And yes, it is not something that's just like an automatic. Like I wake up and I just always sense Jesus. You know, that's, that's what happens. There's an engagement. Like Dan said, we step in to this engagement with Jesus. But at that point in my life, all of a sudden it was like wherever I want, I just, I knew that's what I was hungry for. I knew that's where joy was found. I knew that's what I wanted. I remember leaving and at work at lunchtime, I'd have a little bag lunch. I'd go around to the stupid retention pond. I'd open up the back of my 1996 Toyota 4Runner sit in the back with a book by John Piper, Life is a Vapor. It was a devotional. I would do that with my Bible. I couldn't wait to get back there. I couldn't wait to sit there and be with Jesus. And I'm not trying to, to lift myself up, but I, that, that was the engagement that I wanted. Something lit on fire in my, in my heart and my soul. When we moved into this space, there's these little things that happen along the way in your relationship with Jesus and how you engage with him that make a difference, and, and they're, the, they're the foundation of, of what will give you the joy of carrying his name to the ends of the earth. And I remember being here, and, and you know, I know we're a big deal here, but sometimes you know, we, our staff, uh, we, we, do, we do a lot. Like There's things that we do, and, and we were trying to figure out how in the world are we going to clean all these windows. There's all these windows that are here. And uh, you know, the staff thought the best idea was that the pastor would clean the windows. And I was like, awesome, I'll do it. No, I'm kidding. I actually volunteered. I was like, I'll clean the windows. I'm kind of particular about it, and I want them clean when people come in. And I'll clean the windows. And I cleaned them on Saturday during sermon prep time. Like, I could, could have cleaned them earlier during the week, but I was just, it would make me upset because I'd come in on Sunday. And, of course, there'd be like two butt prints and a handprint, you know, on the, on the glass. You know where we are right here at the beach, right? I mean, everybody does that. They're like, and, you know, hits the glass and puts some cheek prints. It's great. So that would irritate me when I came in. So I was like, Saturday, sermon prep time. I'll, I'll, I'll go, you know, that's, that's when I'll do the windows. So I would, I would do sermon prep. And then if I got, like, you know, wound up and I was like, man, I need to take a break, I'd grab the squeegee and I'd grab all the, you know, the pump sprayer and I'd sit out there and I'd put my headphones in. I had a playlist of, like, 25 songs, all just centered on the cross of Jesus Christ, all centered on relationship with Jesus, all centered on worshiping Him. And I'd be out there with my pump sprayer just singing away, just doing my thing. 
just singing. You know when you sing with headphones? And like I can actually sing a little bit, but it sounds terrible when you're with headphones. You just, I to the Lord. People are walking by. I'm like, yeah, what's going on? Spray YouTube. Yeah. But I, it, I, I knew at the time. I knew at the time I, I would be at the, at the, you know, halfway through and I'd be listening to a song and I'd be going through something personal in my life. And, and I, I, I still think about it. And I remember sitting there thinking, I'm going to remember squeegeeing these windows. I'm going to remember these moments, these precious little morsels, these moments that I had with Jesus. When I was broken, when I, when I was doubting, when I was... Wondering what was going on just in a menial task with Jesus in my ears, with worship on my lips. And all the sermon prep that I did in those days, it, it means something. But I tell you that the fire that came in those days and in the 2015, 2016 era here came from the squeegee. They came from those moments in my relationship with Jesus. The mission is birthed in those moments. You can't have a mission without a relationship with Jesus. And I'm asking it in that way. I'm putting it out in the room. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? I mean, we're leaning towards baptisms. People are going to say, just like Paul said in Romans chapter 10, I am not ashamed of the one who saved my soul. And it's going to be beautiful. But it will beg the question of all the people surrounding the holy hot tub, where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Do you have a relationship? It is all about relationship. And the other thing we have here is it's all about the gospel. It is all about the gospel. How did that relationship get birthed? Am I exploding? Do we understand the atom bomb of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I love this. These are all passages you can find underneath our mission statement on our website. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are therefore, this is the gospel, Christ's ambassadors were carrying this message as though God were making, can you imagine his appeal to the rest of the world through us? We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange in the gospel, I love that. He became sin that we could... Could, could, could attain his perfect life. That we could be reconnected with God. He became sin. He brought that sin to the cross. He died on the cross. He bled into the soil at Mount Calvary. He went down into the, to the depths with your brokenness, with your sin. The sins that you've committed and the sins committed against you. He died for those things. He died for those wounds. He died for those failures. The explosion of the gospel in my heart and in my soul. And I fear sometimes growing up here in, in the southeast and the way that I grew up and the way that many of us grew up in churches that it was, it was more about the way that you lived. Even though it was Jesus died on the cross for my sins, Christianity was that way. We didn't understand the gospel. We, didn't, we weren't exploding with this. We, we looked around and thought, I just need to get a little bit you know, straightened up. I need to come in. I need to get to church. I can't remember how many times I said that along the way. And after I became a pastor, people have said that to me, like, that I'll meet at the gas station or whatever immediately after they've cussed three times and they ask me, hey, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. It's like, oh man, I'm so sorry, man. I'm sorry I said that. I need to get to church. It's what people say. I need to get to church. And you do. You need to get to church. 
But this, this idea that the gospel, I think sometimes we, we miss it, what it is. And, and granted, sometimes it's, it's, it's preached improperly. It's preached as moralism and, and what we have to do. Matt Chandler tells an amazing story. He's a pastor of the Village Church in Texas. You should go listen to him. He's, he's awesome. He gives this amazing illustration. Actually, it's the most horrific illustration that he turns into the most amazing illustration of all time. And he talks about in college when he was 19 years old, he was sitting next to this, this uh, 26-year-old single mom who was a mess. He had just woken up to just who Jesus is and was super amped and pumped, him and some of his buddies. And they befriended her, hung out with her, talked to her about Jesus. And they would go, they would, you know, on the weekends babysit her daughter. You know, and she was actually in an extramarital affair. And they would talk to her about that, you know, what, you know, the wisdom in that. And um, uh, Matt says, hey, you know, one weekend his buddy was, was playing at this Christian conference. And uh, so he tells her, just like Christians do, hey, my buddy's, you know, he's, he's, he's in a band. He's playing the show. You want to go with me? And he's like, he, I know it was shady, you know, getting her there. Um, but she ends up going uh, to this, this college th- Christian conference thing, 1,000 students in Texas, um, and this guy, you know, his buddy plays in the band, kills it, does awesome. Then the guy comes up to, to preach, and he describes it as the worst display of the gospel and, and sexuality in the context of the Bible, because the guy just gets up you know, and says, we're going to talk about sex. I mean, that was like the first thing that he says. And then after that, he, like, he pulls out this rose. It's beautiful, and he smells it and says, man, this rose is beautiful. Isn't it beautiful? You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Just even looking at it, you feel the petals. It's, 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 it's phenomenal. It's a creation of God. It's, it's fantastic. And then he, he tosses it out into the crowd of a thousand and says, you should smell it. Feel it. Touch it. You should get, a, get an essence of, of what the rose is. You, you should pass it around. And then he goes into this horrific moralistic sermon about sexuality to college students, about what you shouldn't do. And granted, there is a a framework biblically for what's happening, but bringing the gospel. And here's Matt Chandler with this person that's got human brokenness like we all do, sitting next to this 26-year-old single mom who's in an extramarital affair, trying to figure out the Jesus thing. And this guy's talking about herpes and syphilis and just being ridiculous. And at the end, his big crescendo in the talk was to go, hey, Hey, where's that rose? Where did that rose go? Can I get that up here? Can I get the rose? A thousand people. By this time, he gets the rose back. Rose is like bent down, all crumpled. Petals, there's like one petal hanging off. And he holds it up as this crescendo of moralistic, like this is what, you know, who would want this? After all of the people have handled it, after all of the people have touched it, who would want this? Matt Chandler, full of the gospel and, and godly wrath. He, he says, I, I wanted to stand up and shout from the mountaintop. Jesus wants the rose. Jesus wants the rose. This is why he died. He who had no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the essence of the gospel. And we miss it. We sit in churches sometimes not remembering that that's who we are. Oh, I grew up in a Christian household. I grew up in a Christian family. I grew up, no, you are the broken and tattered rose. You are the one that needs salvation. When you realize and you get to that point, the the, the maturity of the Apostle Paul you know, when you, look at, when you look at Scripture, we always talk about, you know, becoming spiritually mature through discipleship. Spiritual maturity 
as you see it through the Apostle Paul, was understanding the depth of his depravity. That's when he became mature. Because you see him talk about his faith early on. He tells this story, talks about you know, breathing out murderous threats and that he was basically lucky to get saved. By the end of his life, when he's talking to Timothy, he's leaning against a cold wall, writing a letter to Timothy, very close to his death. And he says, I finally realized why I'm, I, I was saved, why I was rescued. Because I'm the chief of sinners. Because I'm the chief. And God put me in that position so that everyone would know that they're never too far off. If I can be saved, if I can be rescued, then it's for anyone. It is for everyone. We have to have the gospel. Relationship with Jesus, we have to have the gospel exploding in our heart. Not this small little thing that we've got, you know, I needed a little boo-boo fix of grace so I could get along, you know, go along my way. You needed an ocean of grace to cover your sin. I think sometimes we forget. It's, 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 it's what I do, it's what you do. I've talked to people here that have been, that understand what, what, what prison's like and understand what it means to get out of prison and you don't appreciate your freedom more than the moment that you're standing, the, the close proximity you are to the gates of the prison walls when you're outside. That moment of freedom right there when you're outside is when you feel like, I really appreciate my freedom. It's exploding in your heart that you never want to give that freedom up again. And then every step away from those prison walls, all of a sudden the memory starts to fade, the memory starts to fade, and you drift back into normal life. But hopefully there's always something that draws you back to that moment where you stood outside the prison walls and you realized, today I'm free. The prison's behind me, but it's right there in close proximity. But I'm outside of it. And for every one of us, if we want to carry the gospel, we need to remember. That's why we do communion. It's remembering what it means to be saved, what it means to be rescued, what it means to be right outside the prison walls going, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Prison behind me and I'm outside of that prison I'm free from anyone and everyone but I make myself a slave to any and all that I might save some relationship with Jesus gospel exploding our heart so it's all about relationship it's all about the gospel and it's all about light if you look at Matthew 5 14 through 17 it's one of those passages against right there under our mission that you are the light of the world a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, when I, I used to read that passage years ago, it just, to me, it was, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going I'm to show people a really positive Christian testimony of doing good things. I'm gonna, that's, the, that's the light that I'm going to shine. I'm going to show people a better way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up on the, the mountaintop of Christianity and show people how to live life. And then I realized that I couldn't live that life. I realized I was going to fail. I realized that then I was just going to hide all of the darkness that I carried, all of the, the sin that I carried, and whitewash myself on the outside so that I looked nice and I looked like a city on a hill, trying not to do things that would hamper my Christian testimony. Anybody remember hearing that? Hey, be careful when you go out tonight and not hamper your Christian testimony by what you do. Remember who's around you. Little eyes are watching, you know. Um, 
and I realize this passage is about light, but the light that you carry, you are the light of the world. You're not carrying your good deeds. Like the, it's the light of Christ in you. The good deeds that they see are the good deeds that have been done for you. It is not about what you're doing. It's about what's been done. It is the good deed that you carry that glorifies your Father in heaven. And the interesting thing about light, and I love this passage, and he says you are the light of the world because light is a constant. Like it's something, it's, what, it's what's being described here. It's like you, you don't put it under a bowl. It's something that will shine no matter what. It is the constant. It's what you carry with you everywhere. If Jesus is inside of you, it's all about light. And we think about circumstance all the time. Like I'll, and this is the way I think I think about mission is I'll do it when things get better. When I, when I finally get the job, then I'll carry the gospel. When I finally get settled and get, get into the, the place that I need to be in life, when finally, you know, I need to find someone to, to run this race with. When I find I get into a relationship, then I'll be effective carrying the gospel. When I get to this place, when I'm not sick anymore, when I'm not in this difficult circumstance, when I'm not in the valley anymore, when I'm not walking through divorce, when I'm not in the broken places of life, then I'll carry the gospel. But the reality is, is that light shines everywhere you go. No matter what the circumstance. Jesus didn't, he didn't tell the disciples, wait until Rome's not in power and then carry the gospel. Wait until you don't have any persecution and then carry the gospel. Wait until you're not under the threat of death and then carry the gospel. In fact, it was the very opposite. In the hardest of times, you know, Think about the epistles and the letters to the churches. Let's, let's wait until we all get along in the church and then we'll carry the gospel. No, they were fighting. All kinds of crazy stuff was going on, but the gospel was still moving. The light never stopped. In fact, the best, I think the most missional people I've ever known in my life were the ones that were shining their light so bright in the valley of the shadow of death that people stood up and watched and said, what in the world is going on there? They're walking through the most difficult season of their life. But all of a sudden, there's a light that's beaming from their life. There's a hope, an anchor for their soul that's exploding with light. The light never stops shining. And for the Apostle Paul, mission always overrode the conditions. Mission always overrode the conditions. The, the, the conditions were, the, to the Apostle Paul, they were annoyances, but they were never a deterrent. I mean, my man went through it, shipwrecked a couple of times. I mean, the guy's having a campfire, doing his thing, and a viper comes out and bites him in the hand. I mean, you think you have a bad day. I mean, he was beat several times, imprisoned multiple times, beheaded eventually. Mission always overrode the condition because light is a constant. It never stops shining. There's light in the valley. There's light when you're busy. There's light when you're hurt. There's light when you're sad. There's light when you're sick. There's light when... You're broke. There's light when you're broken. There's light when you are brokenhearted. Your light can shine at any time in your life. And the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of a relationship with Jesus is it pulls us away from the things of this world. It pulls us away from the conditions and the environment and the circumstance. And by some miracle, God uses us in those broken moments to shine our light in the darkness. It's interesting, that's where often we, we find Jesus. You, know, you have these seasons in life where you're, you're cruising along and things are good, things are happening, things are all, you know, I'm just clicking along. 
Jesus is kind of bolted onto the situation, and then all of a sudden, you're in the valley and you're wondering where help is found. You're, you're, you're in the valley and you're wondering, when is this going to end? Guess what you find in, in the dark of the valley? The light of Jesus. You get to the bottom. You get to the bottom in the things that you walk through. All of a sudden, you'll find light. I, I've heard story after story after story that in the brokenness, in the brokenness of my life, that's where I found Jesus. And as we lean towards baptisms next week, we've got, you know what I love about baptisms? Is there's stories to be told. There's stories to be told. And I want, I want to show you a, a video of one of the stories. We'll see a couple more uh, next week. But just how God can move in any and every circumstance. And that God will use you anywhere you are, wherever you are. To not make assumptions. But your relationship with Jesus, the gospel that you've experienced, can go out as light to someone else. Let's watch. I'm April Mitzel. I'm a working mom of two amazing boys, Barrett, 10, and Ethan, 13. I like to call him Riley, but he likes to go by Ethan. So we've been at the beach for 20 years. I've worked out here at the beach for a healthcare staffing company for almost 18 years, um, which is crazy. Um, the boys go to school out here. Um, everything was great. We have a house out at the beach. The boys have lots of friends. Um, everything was going great. Life was great until it wasn't. So growing up, I uh, didn't really have any sort of relationship with Jesus. I didn't have any sort of religion at all, any friends with religion. Um, my uh, closest neighbor friend from like grade school, she used to take me to like a typical Baptist church on the weekends. We'd go to church and then we'd go to like Ryan's Steakhouse or something afterwards. And then we would go back to church and then we'd have like the church dinner um, in the evenings. And we did that throughout grade school here and there. But after that, nothing really. I never had any friends who were religious. Uh, none of my family members were religious. Um, as an adult, no one was religious. Um, it was never a part of my married life. Um, the only... The only person, or the only family members um, who were religious were um, my sister-in-law and her, her family, her side of the family. And, um, you know, it was not a part of my marriage. And so, in a typical non-believer fashion, you know, I rolled my eyes and I dismissed it and I, um, you know, didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to have any part of it uh, for many, well, for 15 years, basically. Um, and it wasn't until everything basically fell apart in my marriage that I realized that I was really missing out on something super special.
So really the huge turning point for me was when my marriage fell apart. Um, I had a very dear friend of mine who lived across the street from me who had also passively, you know, talked about religion throughout the five years that she had lived across the street from me. And when I found out that my marriage was falling apart, she was literally one of the first people I reached out to. And that person would come over and pray with me every single day and between her and my sister-in-law and the way that they loved me and led me to Jesus and showed me the love it was just that I can't even imagine my life any other way I literally can't even imagine my life any other way. <laughs> I mean, just in the simplest terms, I believe in Jesus. Like, I never did. I honestly, I never did. I didn't understand it. I didn't want to talk about it. I just, and now I know that that was what saved me. It was the hardest time of my life and I would not have made it if I didn't have Jesus. I want to get baptized because I want everybody to know how my life has changed and how Jesus is a part of my life now. I want everybody to know.